As a small nonprofit, we recently contracted the services of the husband of a staff member who is an accountant to help clean up our QuickBooks and provide training to our ED to give her the tools and confidence necessary for the small amount of bookkeeping that is required as part of her job. He gave us a great price and is in effect volunteering much of his time. Well, he approached me as board chair, recently saying that he would be happy to sit on the board of directors and lend some financial expertise to the board. He mentioned that he would be able to continue to provide some contracted hours in the future, providing bookkeeping-related services. I know that employees cannot sit on the board, but what about contracted services? I'm leaning towards telling him it's an either-or situation, but I would love to hear your thoughts. So the first question I have, of course, is... Do you have a conflict of interest policy in place? I mean, one of the things I always think about related to this kind of stuff is what does your policy say? But my my instinct is just, in general, I think it's cleaner and neater to say it's an either or. I think in particular, I mean, yes, you can absolutely have someone providing contracted services serve on your board, follow your conflict of interest policy procedure. I'm not a fan of it, particularly when it relates to anything financial because of the board's financial and fiduciary duties, even if it's bookkeeping, which we know isn't high level in any any form. It, it just feels like there is some confusion and messiness with that that I'd, I wouldn't be comfortable with. So so even in that case, I would say maybe maybe it's kind of a you either serve on the board um, and don't get paid and someone else does or you don't. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, just to throw an and in there, it, it says that they're providing training that's like all pretty much just he's volunteering to do it. So why doesn't he just completely volunteer to do it? Like True. The, there's there's no reason that, I mean, because you, you could avoid all the conflict of interest stuff and just say, sure, you could be on the board, but you mind not charging us for the help you're giving us? I mean, as a board member, maybe that could be part of your contribution is to provide that kind of assistance to us too. I don't think that would be, I think most people would be, oh, okay, that sounds like a good idea. I agree. I was going to offer that anyway, right? Instead of like, well, I really want to be on your board and tell you how to do things a different way and have you pay me. Yeah. Like that doesn't seem like, man, I want that guy on my board anyway. And I guess I would also want to encourage the the organization to think through whether they actually really need and want these services um, on, you know, or someone with this kind of expertise on their board. I, I think I see a lot of times organizations that end up someone suggests maybe a board seat and they, they gravitate, right? Like they grab onto them because they're desperate for board members. And I also think this is a chance to step back and say, okay, what skill sets and expertise are we looking for on our board? And all the other litany of questions, what kind of diversity are we looking for? You know, racial and ethnic diversity, age diversity. Uh, what are we looking at for connections and ability to fundraise? So just because someone asks you or says, hey, I could provide your board some of these services with a board seat doesn't automatically mean you should jump at having them on your board either. So I would also really encourage thinking through that in a bit of a more holistic way instead of just kind of jumping at this opportunity. Um, perhaps it is a great fit and that's okay, but at least be thoughtful about it and not um, reactive to it. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents... Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. 
Hey, it's podcast day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Today, Stacy Wedding and I, I'm Andy Schricht. We're here to answer your nonprofit questions. So find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, go to the Nonprofit Everything webpage, uh, bother Stacy at home at night, whatever you need to do to get your questions to us. We've still got stickers available, so we'll send you a sticker if you include your address and uh, we will answer those questions. The podcast, the Nonprofit Everything podcast is a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. So if you haven't, go check out the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. They've got a bunch of cool programming coming up this year, and uh, there's really neat stuff going on. So if you're not a member, it's a, it's a one of the really great ways you can support the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by the HR Collaborative. The HR Collaborative was formed to help build nonprofit strengths through improved human resources. It provides professional development opportunities, networking, and sharing of best practices on HR issues faced by nonprofit organizations. The Collaborative meets bi-monthly. Membership is free and open to anyone who works for a nonprofit and has HR responsibilities. For more information or to attend an upcoming meeting, visit their website at www.hrcollaborativelv.org. Check out the Nonprofit Everything show notes for more information. Okay, Stacy, I'm the ED of a small but not tiny organization. I feel like I'm spread so thin. How do I multitask without just doing a poor job on everything? Oh, my heart goes out. This is so tough, right? I, I don't know about you, Andy, but I think one of one of the most challenging jobs out there is being an ED of a small nonprofit. It's like you're wearing so many hats. Mm-hmm. So so first of all, um, I want to just kind of reach through the microphone and give you a big hug. But since I can't do that, just consider this your online hug just to say, hey, we feel you. We know it's tough. Um, but here's here's my thing. I'm going to give some tough love here. I don't think multitasking is the solution at all. Um, there are countless studies that in, in one of them that recently I pulled this up because I remember reading it. The American Psychological Association did a study that said you actually when you multitask, no matter how seamless it seems. So even if you're just, you know. I, whatever you're doing, like you're on the computer typing an email, but then you hear your phone ring, uh, buzz from a, you know, ding for a text alert and you go and look over that just that distraction is enough that it slows down your brain, no matter how seamless it feels to you, to the point that it actually slows things down like 40%. You go 40% faster when you just focus, when you don't multitask. Now, I don't think this applies to like, I think all of us can relate to if I'm washing the dishes at home or something at night and having a conversation with somebody on the phone, I can probably do both of those things. But I think anything (laughs) that requires a little some degree of thinking and accessing different parts of our brain, multitasking actually slows down the process. So what I would encourage this this ED to do is don't multitask. I actually say do just the opposite. Focus, right? Focus block time and focus time. And and if you can discipline yourself, and guess what? I haven't been able to do this with myself, so I'm not sure if, if you can do this. But if you can discipline yourself, maybe it's checking your emails three times a day or looking at those things that distract you and setting up a pattern or a time where you turn off all those notifications during the time you need to do focused work. Um, 
A lot of people swear by that. I think it's really challenging and it's just my own lack of self-discipline, but that's another thing to think about. Yeah, remember when offices had doors? <laughs> Actually, yeah. remember when we had offices? <laughs> yeah, I was like, huh, it's been a while, right? <laughs> I mean, and that, that was always like the, like the signal that you had something that you needed yes. to, to do. That's the... That's your brain telling you that you're not very good at doing a lot of things at once, that any kind of distraction, whether it's something that you've created for yourself, yeah. your sort of Pavlovian response to the chime on your phone that says that there was another tweet you were mentioned in or something yeah. like, right? Anything yeah. that, that just instantly makes you go away from what you're doing. Yeah, you're right. It takes time away. I think for this one, though, or I think multitasking is is a... I think we both totally agree on multitasking, right? That, that multitasking slows you down and it's not good. Yeah. So you need to figure out how to get focus time in. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Yeah. I think the challenge for the ED of a small but not tiny organization isn't multitasking. It's being responsible for everything and knowing that everything is on your shoulders and that because it's small and you don't have the support staff to do all of the hundred things that you need to do, that, that you you're doing the accounting, you're doing the fundraising, you're doing the operations stuff, you're doing HR, you're dealing with board members. I mean, it's just the pile of work that's that you're responsible for. And that's not multitasking. No. That's just being overloaded with responsibility. Absolutely. So, so one of the things that, I mean, and God forbid, we're just going to jump right back to a sports analogy. <laughs> um, one of the things that baseball teams discovered a long time ago was that, that you, people perform better when they're able to specialize. So like a long, long time ago, we had Babe Ruth. Did you know, you know, Babe Ruth, who Babe Ruth is, right? Oh yeah. I do. I do know that, but don't <laughs> do, get much do you more know what complicated. Position he played? What was he famous for? Do you remember what he's famous for? I don't know. He was super good at hitting home runs. Okay. He had like a zillion home runs. Okay. Do you know what position he played? No. He was a pitcher. Really? Really. So you know enough about baseball to know that that's yes. absurd for a that pitcher to be insane. really, really good totally at home runs, different. right? Yeah, yeah. And it's because what we've discovered, what, you know, sports is a good way of like, especially baseball, iterating on problems over and over again to come up with the most minute changes to be able to make better outcomes. Right, right. So, which is why we use it as an analogy all the time. But like the, the fact that we've discovered that there's something about the skills that you need as a pitcher that don't necessarily correlate to the skills that you need as a batter. Like, and so it's very, it's rare for pitchers to even hit home runs. Like, right. like the American right. League just got away with like, you know what? Pitchers that's shouldn't insane. even have to hit. Yeah. They just, they can sit down. We'll get another guy that's better at hitting. Yeah. We'll let him do it. And so understanding that that kind of paradigm, you can put that in place for a nonprofit as well. Um, you're, you're good at something. The reason you're an ED is because you're really good at something. You didn't yeah. get that job because you suck at everything. You got that <laughs> job because you're good at something. Yep, yep. And so trying to figure out a way that you can carve out the things that you're good at and then figure out ways to get other people to do the things that you're not so good at. Yes. Right. And so th I think that's the solution is not to worry about, am I being distracted and doing any more focus time? But to think about what do I what do I do really, really well? Yeah. And can I continue to do that while passing off the stuff that I don't do as well onto other people? Absolutely. Like I, I worked for a manager years ago and she was like world class fundraiser. She could she could literally get blood from a stone. It was <laughs> totally possible for her to do that. Sell ice to an Eskimo. Yeah. Yeah. Ice, yeah. Um, it was amazing. And yeah. one of the things that she understood really, really well and one of the things that made her so good at her job, she didn't care about anything else. That like was the rest of the operation, she was leaving up to people that she trusted to do that. Absolutely. And she focused all of her time on the things that she was good at. And she did a really, really good job. I mean, so I think, you know, again, answering the wrong question. <laughs> well, but, 
but I think there's an underlying piece to this that you bring up that's a really good piece because that probably is much more likely the issue at hand. Uh, and I guess that also goes back to me saying you need to know where you're going to also know where to focus because you know I'm a bit of, nut of a nut around this, but I'm like, if you don't have a plan or if you don't know where you're trying to get by the end of the year, it's also another, it's easy to just respond, and react to everything and say yes to a bunch of things that probably aren't going to get you there. So mm -hmm. Even if this is like a one-page handwritten like plan with a few big picture goals, I'm not saying you have to go through a whole strategic planning process. I mean, that's ideal. But if you can't, like there's something to give you that focus, that direction. And then you're right, build on the strengths. And and I think people love it. Um, I've heard of nonprofits who have found volunteers or even a board member that maybe wants, un, wants to play a more active role, understands there's a governing role and a support role, but is willing to step in to help out on some of those things that maybe are their strengths. Um, there, there's a lot of ways to, you know, skin that cat. But I think that that figuring that out is really invaluable. You're right. Like your strengths and interests, because otherwise you're also going to burn out. I mean, all of us hate doing something that that we're like, OK, I sort of suck at this or I don't really understand it or it just doesn't really light my fire. I mean, we know you can't do that every day as an executive director or any staffer. But I think as an ED saying, yeah, this is this is where I kind of stand apart from the rest. I think that makes perfect sense. So. And, and it's interesting. One of the things that you get to get away with is the ED, too, is you get to decide what your job is. Yeah, isn't that like, cool? Your board kind of has some responsibility. Yeah, your board yeah. will tell you you yeah. need to do X, Y and Z. But but really, they're in empowering you with operating the entire organization. So if you hate HR, yeah. if it just like the, you walk in and you've had to do something HR related and it just makes you angry, right. that tells you, let's find somebody who can do this for you so that you don't have to mess with it anymore. Right. Like, and just realize that everybody under you doesn't have that choice. Totally. Like, totally. like the ED is the only person in the entire organization that gets to decide, man, I feel like doing that. I'm going to assign somebody else that job. And the one thing we don't know about the situation, we don't know. I don't think the person said that they are, um, you know, they said they work for a small but not tiny. So that also makes me think there's potentially maybe some other paid staff um, in the mix or even a couple of paid staff in the mix. Um, so I would also ask this person to think through, are they delegating to the best of their ability? And I I know delegation can be so tough, especially if you, if you started where um, maybe you started as a one-person you know, band, and now you're a three-person band. That is one of the biggest growing points mm -hmm. as an ED. God forbid you're the founder. <laughs> like yeah, that, that one into oh the dear lord, that just complicates it <laughs> further. Right. And then you know, this person, the the the, the person who wrote this uh, question in, is probably going to laugh at the suggestion because they're like, I already don't have enough time. So, Stacy, there's no <laughs> way I'm going to do what you're about to suggest, but. I want to share that here's where I um, can commiserate a little. I always struggle. I struggle with delegation. I struggle with with some of the you know boundaries and 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 not taking it all on and and focusing on my strengths and and delegating this stuff you know the other stuff to other other folks. That's always been a lifelong challenge. It's something I'm getting better at because I've been intentional at working at it. But recently, someone challenged me to do a time study. Now, Andy, if you have never done a time study before, let me tell you how painful this process <laughs> is. I basically got through two days when I was challenged to do it for a week, but I got enough intel on my two days doing it. So the goal is that you 
every 15 minutes are keeping track of what you're doing. So in the, the 15 minutes that perhaps I checked my social media, checked my text message, wrote an email, I like have to write that down. And I'm going to tell you what, I started to drive myself nuts <laughs> as I was going through that process because I realized how much I am constantly like, you know, distracted. Oh, I heard a ding. You know, again, <laughs> that Pavlovian response, mm -hmm. the, the dopamine hit that our brain gets with that. So, um, but it was eye-opening to me. And so for me, I am working to, well, I'll report back at a later date, but I am working to really start to shut off notifications or put things out of hand reach because I am just, no, you know, it's it's that sort of human nature. And honestly, I've tried it a couple of days and I think I've gained, if I had to guess, I think I've gained maybe, I don't know, an hour of, of time that otherwise would have been wasted just with more focus. And so Oh, the power of that is huge. So I just encourage if, if you can even muster it up for, you know, the strength up to do this for a couple of days, it might also help shed some light on where where you're not using your time in the best way. Our nonprofit is committed to having senior leadership serve on nonprofit boards as a way to further our partnerships, visibility and engagement in the community. Since some corporations cover their employees' board dues, should nonprofits do this as well? If it's part of your strategic plan to ex increase exposure or develop more partnerships or increase visibility, whatever, whatever that, that directive is, and one of the ways and strategies you're going to do that is having perhaps your mid-level, senior-level staff serve on nonprofit boards I think that there is room to have that discussion and perhaps have a policy for it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'm a stickler, though, and you know this, Andy. I believe that every individual who ever serves on a nonprofit board should make some personal contribution. Just they are walking the talk. They are a role model. I am not saying that they have to do it all. And in this circumstance, um, perhaps there's some sort of shared policy for a shared kind of um, fee arrangement or or some sort of a, a small commitment because that employee is still getting, even if it's in furtherance of your nonprofit's direction, that employee serving on that board is still getting some own personal benefit aside from your your organization so and i also think it gets dicey we see this thing happen where a corporation pays for an employee's dues i'm going to not talk nonprofit for a minute right pays for an employee's board dues and then that employee is not nearly as committed to the organization it's kind of like oh yeah you know my corporation does it like i'm just here and then when that if that employee leaves that corporation or god forbid gets fired then there's this whole like you know, kind of cluster that happens within the organization about, oh God, within the nonprofit, oh, what do we do? Do we just find a replacement? Does the corporate, you know, does that corporation that was paying for that, that board member, uh, you know, send us a new one? Um, and it really is, I mean, it's an individual choice, an individual service, even if you do work for your organization. Um, and so I, I, I think I'm kind of going roundabout. I mean, the bottom line is, I think, it's fine. I think some kind of policy and making sure you don't like you set a precedent that's like make sure something that's fair and consistent, because once you set this precedent, you also don't want to start having these huge line items on your nonprofit budget that you're like, oh, my gosh, 
like this is turned into a monster. And a lot of corporations do that too, right? They have limitations or policies or up to a certain amount. So I think there's ways to do that, that you can budget for it as a nonprofit, further your strategic direction, and ensure your employee has some skin in the game too. And I think that's ultimately where you want to get with something like this. Interesting. Ooh, you have a difference. Okay. I, so after you've said that, I'm trying to sort of absorb it and make sure that I'm not like just like <laughs> reacting. Because my first instinct was like in the question, you say you're committed to having senior leadership. So so to me, the answer would have been, yeah, if you're committed to do it and this is something that your nonprofit is doing, then m- my sense is that you should be then responsible for any financial things. Um. So, but, I, and and so I think, from a like because you started leading into a different issue which i think which i agree with you on which is where you've gone to the utility and you said i would like to have a board member from your utility because i know that if i do that then you're going to sponsor my gala event at the twenty five thousand dollar level or whatever yes and then the utility picks randomly or says who wants to be on this and somebody goes I guess I will. And so you end up with Joe employee on your board who's at a senior level is, you know, intellectually maybe feels like your mission is important, but isn't committed. And the reason they're not committed is not because they don't have, I don't think not because they don't have skin in the game, but they're not committed because they just aren't committed. They're like, it's, I have to do this for my job. My job is making me do this. And I don't know that having them have to split the the annual board giving fee like a responsibility with the corporation would be the solution for that. I think the solution would be don't go to the utility right. to get crappy board members right, right. because you're just going to get crappy board members and you shouldn't be surprised by that. So I think, I mean, I really, I feel like it's two separate it is. questions. It is. And I think I was mixing those. So yeah, I think there's a distinction. I, I agree. Like my short answer is yes. Like if this, if your organization's committed to having senior leadership serve on nonprofit boards, then that should be a budget item. I do still believe strongly there should be policy around it because I think that could get totally extreme and out of control. Yeah. And there's a million what if it factors to take into consideration with that. But there is also that sense of if you're the nonprofit looking for that corporate, that that employee at a corporation, I do think you as a nonprofit need to to ask yourself, like, again, is it just if it's if this is just for the money, like that is the wrong reason mm-hmm. to have the board member, right? Mm-hmm. So that so again, going back to that that board matrix and the criteria and what what you're looking for and if if maybe it's a long-term volunteer from that company in right in your nonprofit mm-hmm. that yeah. makes sense because it's someone committed passionate and then i think that person also would be more willing to say yeah i'll step up and make a personal donation and my company will do this like that in my opinion would be golden yeah instead you get the junior vice president of whatever right and they're like i just need this so that i can get to the next level at my corporate job yeah i'm required to do this and i don't really care so I guess, this, so this made me think about a second thing too, like are, are nonprofits really doing this? Is this some, is this a new thing that I'm not aware of where nonprofits are trying to get their employees to be on the boards of other nonprofits? So I can tell you, I can only respond that there is one organization I am aware of in Southern Nevada that is absolutely doing that. And that is one of their strategies moving forward. And I think it's an interesting one. Um, I think, uh, you know, one of the things I have actually cautioned or or shared with this organization is that they also need to make sure 
Can their employee fulfill, again, what are the board requirements of this board they are going to join? Because what I find so much happens, you work at a nonprofit, you go sit on another nonprofit board, that nonprofit board asks you to fundraise and you say, I feel uncomfortable. That's a conflict, right? My loyalty is to my day job. So there's, I think there's got to be a whole lot of sort of really being clear, making like on all levels between both parties, because that's yeah. just sticky. Yeah, it, fe- it feels like it's a it feels like it's a different question. It's the yeah, next yeah. question we're gonna yeah. get. Hey, I'm on the board of one thing. Like, um, so, so the the times that I've seen it in the past have really been when it's something very program related. So if you have a nonprofit that's in a particular space, and let me think of a specific example that isn't a food bank for a change. Um, so if you're in a performing arts center yeah. board and you really want to be connected to the local theater community because that's important to your board, that you may bring on the ED of the local community theater. So so you're trying to tap into um, what's going on in the community and not just be a behemoth. Yeah. So so I've seen that happen. And that makes sense because then, you know, there's sort of a kind of a hand in glove relationship between the two parties. And it's not it's not something that's we're going for the same grant and now I know your secret sauce yes, and like, yes. which just feels like it's a, I mean, I would be really uncomfortable bringing on a, a nonprofit person onto another nonprofit's board just in general. That feels really strange to me. Plus I know they don't have a lot of money. They work for a nonprofit. Right, gonna, right. I mean, their, their board relations, like there just seems like it would just be an, a really interesting choice. I'd love to hear if anybody's doing this, I'd love to hear more about this. If we can interview on your podcast yeah. about why you've decided to do this and how it's working out. I I think that's really interesting. I'd love to hear more. I mean, one thing I would love to add to that discussion is that I think it's really just, it's difficult when you work, like you're on the board and, and you work in a high level or executive director role with your nonprofit, because most likely, even though you may oversee programs or that, you still you still have this inside knowledge from this nonprofit board you're serving on that could potentially benefit your organization in some way um, that is, you know, it could even be beyond fundraising. And I just, I think it can get really dicey. And what what I've found, Andy, is I see a lot of executive directors, more so than other kind of staff, executive directors of nonprofits that serve on other boards. And that is is sticky too and and let me be real here the board members in that room sitting with their fellow peer who works at ABC nonprofit those board members are thinking what are you going back taking back to your shop i mean there's these discussions and like internal kind of strife that comes up with it so it's not like a deal breaker but there's there's a lot of i think kind of hoops to think through or not or hoops to jump through and sort of things to think through yeah Hey everybody, it's Stacy here, and I have a special guest today. This is a little bit out of the norm for us, and we love things that that mix it up. So thank you, Kate McLaughlin, for being here with us. Uh, Kate is the executive director of Girls on the Run Las Vegas. So welcome, Kate. Thank you for having me. Uh, Kate uh, is not here while she does represent this fabulous organization. She's not here today wearing her girls on the run hat. Uh, she is actually here today wearing her nonprofit everything podcast listener hat. 
And with that said, uh, just to give give our uh, listeners a little bit of background, uh, our last uh, episode that was released, we had a question from someone doing a virtual gala and talking about recorded music and what they needed to do as far as copyrights were concerned and what could be used or not used. And Andy did an amazing job at doing some research and sharing uh, some background on it. Kate is nodding her head. Nobody can see that, but um, (laughs) he did a great job. I, on the other hand, not so much. And uh, really, really spoke a bit out of school and out of turn, which honestly speaking, I didn't realize until Kate was kind enough to reach out to me via email and share the perspective of perhaps a performing artist, a musician. So Kate, are you willing to share a little bit with our listeners about what hot buttons I hit of yours? Sure. So um, to give you a little background, uh, in my prior life, um, I was once upon a time worked in the music, music business. And um, one of the jobs that I had in that time was doing copyright clearances. So I got to know quite a few things about copyright. But um, what the hot button was that got me was that you guys were focused on the nonprofit and them raising money and it's their gala and we don't want to make them do any extra work. But the musician and the songwriter, they earned that money. They created that song that you want to play at your event. And they deserve to get paid for it. And that is why copyright exists, is so that an artist, whether that's a musician, an author, a filmmaker, whomever, actually can make a living off of their art. And so copyright is set up to go for the life of the artist and then some, um, so that it, it pays their bills and it allows them to keep making art. So anytime anyone says anything, about, oh, let's figure out a way to avoid this. Yeah, (laughs) that's a hot button. Well, and I'm sure you're not alone, Kate. I'm sure uh, anyone listening who has uh, any more knowledge and awareness and uh, social graces than I do would have known better than to say what I did. I, to our listeners, my apologies. Um, I literally use the words workaround. I think I use them multiple times. What is a workaround to this? And I will, I will share in full disclosure, I was looking at it, I was very narrow-minded and thinking, how do we make the nonprofit's life easier? How do we save them money? How, but, but that doesn't make it right because musicians, and there's amazing nonprofits that have performing artists working for them and have musicians. And there's amazing people who aren't in nonprofits that, that give us the, the amazing gift of, of music and song and art. And so um, I just really hung my head in embarrassment. So Kate, I can't thank you enough for uh, schooling me a bit and for helping me see my ways. Uh, Definitely need to keep that in mind. I just want to add two quick notes. One, there is a workaround and I'm using air quotes here. I realize you can't see. Um, And that is if you hire local musicians and they only perform their own original works and they do not have an agreement with any of the performing rights organizations, which are ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, then you won't have to file for a license from ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. I will say that's very hard to find 
because anyone who has created an original work that they're going to perform in public has probably recorded it too, and thus they would have had made those agreements. So that's that. That's a really hard workaround to find. But the other thing to know is that um, I did a little research myself. With ASCAP, if you're applying for a license with them to put on a gala, that falls under the benefit clause. And if your gala has 1,000 people or less, you want to know what your license fee is? 10 bucks. What? How much? 10 bucks. You're kidding me. I'm not kidding you. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, that's huge, Kate. Oh my gosh. I think you've just saved people a ton of money right there with that one finding. Don't be intimidated by it. It's an easy process and there's different categories. For example, for Girls on the Run, we have a different license to fill out for a race than for a gala, but they have it set up so that charities can use music at their events and not pay a fortune for the right to do so. So I I realize you're not quote, an expert in this, although you sure certainly sound like one and seem like one to me. Uh, but I'm wondering, from a virtual side, when you really have no control over how many people perhaps are watching your virtual event, do you happen to know, did they, do they deal with that at all? You know, it didn't say on the, the form that I was looking at, but you could easily... Um, Say, okay, well, based on how many people typically come to our live events and how many followers we have on YouTube or Facebook or whatever number, you can make an argument for that's how many people we expect to to see this. Now, obviously, things can go viral. And if that were to happen, um, then there can be amends made after the fact. If you do your best job in the front end to pay, what's legally fair, then legally afterwards, if they come back for additional compensation, they really can't penalize you for that. You know, Kate, my guess is, big assumption here, but I'm guessing that a lot of our listeners are in the camp of paying people what's fair and equitable. It's a topic we as nonprofit professionals talk about all the time and lots of uh, literature in the industry about fair pay and paying people for what they've produced, what they've created, what their hard work entails. And this is no different. And that is the thing that I really took away. I think in some weird way, I was demonizing not the musicians themselves, but this licensing firm that was somehow not even getting the money to the musicians. But it doesn't sound like that's the case. The licensing firm just helps control all of this, right? And make sure people are paid for what they deserve. Yes. The performing rights organizations keep track of who owns the rights to the underlying song as well as a sound recording and make sure that the appropriate folks get paid. That's well, what they do. And they're generally kudos. nonprofits as well. Oh, wow. Well, kudos to them. <laughs> well, everybody, if this hasn't taught you something, I guess there's some lessons here to be learned just about life in general. Uh, we all have a lot to learn, and I am top of that list, and I am humbled by this conversation. I am grateful to Kate for speaking up and grateful to her being uh, a regular listener. And this also is encouragement to all of you because Andy and I 
are certainly not the experts. I think he's more of an expert than I am, but we'll just say we try to do our research. We try to speak intelligently and sometimes we get it wrong or we really miss a perspective that needs to needs to be heard. So thank you, Kate, for, for coming to the table and for all of our listeners, please, if you feel like Kate did about any of our topics, you reach out to us and uh, hey, we'll highlight you and talk a little bit about uh, what faux pas we made at that point, because I'm sure there will be plenty more in the future. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. And we have reached the end of another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Thanks for joining us. Stacy and I really appreciate that you take the time to listen to the podcast um, we're always delighted when we check out um, how many listeners that we have and see that it's a large number. And that makes us so happy to see that uh, that this is useful because we figured if it wasn't useful, the number would get smaller and smaller and smaller. But it's not. It's actually getting bigger. And we really that makes us really happy. So it tells us we're doing good stuff. But if there's stuff we could do better, if there are questions you want answered, if you have comments on the format, comments on the music comments on the audio editing comments on anything at all send that to us or send us your questions and we um, are so excited to get those and really happy to see them and and really geek out on doing all the research to try to figure out what the answers are or if we can't figure it out finding a guest expert that can so thanks again for joining us we will see you in a couple of weeks <laughs>